Hey everybody, welcome in to episode two of the We Know Fantasy NASCAR podcast. It's your host, Cody Smith, along with Devin. How are you doing, Devin? I'm doing good tonight. All right, so we are sitting down here to record. It's late Wednesday night. We just watched uh, qualifying for the Daytona 500, so little bit to talk about this week. We'll go back and recap the clash uh, briefly. I know that was seems like forever ago already with the Super Bowl in between. But we'll talk about the clash a little bit. We'll preview the Daytona 500. Since qualifying did happen, talk a little bit about that as well. And maybe some early Daytona 500 bets here for you guys before the duels that will take place tonight, <laughs> which uh, after this episode comes out. So before we get started, my name is Cody Smith. I already mentioned that, and you can follow me on Twitter at Master Smithers. And Devin, where can the people find you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at dbrocious13. You can also follow We Know Fantasy on Twitter at We Know Fantasy. Check it out there. We got plenty of content, plenty of sports uh, that we talk about. We're getting ready for baseball. To kick into action here, we're just wrapped up the football season. Uh, so Nate and I and and all the other uh, contributors contributors have been working on getting some content out for you guys. So make sure to check that out. So with that, we'll go ahead and jump into our quick recap: the Bushlight Clash. Martin Truex Jr. earns his first victory in the next gen car. Um, he becomes, if you count. If you want to count guys like Ryan Blaney, who only won the All-Star race, guys like Brad Keselowski, who won a duel at Daytona last year, he actually becomes the 22nd different winner in the next-gen car. So we have that parity that I think NASCAR was kind of looking for. Uh, what are your thoughts on Martin Truex Jr. finally getting uh, a victory, even though it wasn't points-paying, in the next-gen car? I think that this will definitely help um, Martin Truex Jr. going into the season. Obviously, you could see last season when he wasn't winning, he was just like defeated the whole season. Um, but I think this this win, and you could see it in like his voice after the clash, that he was like actually really excited to like race again. So I think that that'll be good for his season. Yeah, definitely brings some confidence back to that team. And you look back at last season, Joey Logano wins the clash. He goes on to win the championship as well. I mean, I'm not calling Martin Truex Jr. as the 2023 champion, but he's got just about as good of a chance as anybody right now. He had speed on that short track at in the LA Coliseum, and he heads into Daytona with a little bit of momentum. Speaking of uh, finishing... Uh, with good finishing positions at the Clash, Austin Dillon and Kyle Busch, they joined Martin Truex Jr. on the first ever NASCAR podium following the race after Austin Dillon finished second and Kyle Busch finished third. Uh, teammates at Richard Childress Racing, it's uh, still going to be a little bit of a learning curve to think of those guys as teammates, mm -hmm. but they are, and they performed very well at the Clash. So first off, I guess, what are your thoughts on the podium? Do you think this is something that NASCAR should implement at races? Um, and then following up with that, uh, a strong start for Richard Childress Racing. Do you think they can continue that into the season? Yeah, um, as far as the podium goes, 
It was fine to see it at the Clash. I don't think I need to see it at every race. Um, we didn't see that much of it on on air. I thought it was fine. But like I said, I don't need to see it at every race. This is one of those one-off races. They do a lot more kitschy stuff where they have a halftime and they do performances in the middle. And if they want to do that there, that's fine. But that's probably the only place I need to see it. And as far as um, RCR and Austin Dillon and Kyle Busch, I think obviously we know Kyle Busch is a good racer. And obviously um, Austin Dillon, man whatever you have feelings about him. But I think Kyle Busch will be good no matter where he goes. So his talent will show through at RCR. Um, but I think that he will have a good season. Yeah. I mean, it never hurts to get off to a good start, even though the clash, obviously non-points paying race, just kind of a preseason kind of get up to speed race. Still good to have a good finish there and prove that you've got a car that can compete and is fast. Um, but I, I, as far as the podium goes too, I'm with you there. I don't think it's going to be a normal NASCAR thing. I hope it's not a normal NASCAR thing. I don't mind it in the Coliseum because that's what it is. You know, it's, it's the LA Coliseum, the Olympics were there. It's, it's an Olympic-y type thing. So yeah, I don't mind it in the Coliseum, but I don't want to really see the podium go elsewhere. And like you said, they, made kind of a deal out of this podium being a thing. And then it was barely on TV. You know, you got yeah. to see for a minute or two, the guy standing there and that was it. So, so they made it up to be this big thing. And then they kind of cut out uh, early, I guess, before you really even saw much of that. Yeah. And a big reason for that, a good segue into the, our next talking point, all the crashes at the clash, tons of accidents early in the second half of the race it took over an hour to run 10 laps because of the fact that caution laps weren't counted. So what did you think about all the accidents in the second half of that race and your thoughts just on the Bushlight clash as a whole? I thought the first half what was good just because there wasn't as many crashes. They were actually racing. There was bumping, moving out of the way. That's like typical short track stuff that you like to see. I definitely thought the second half took way too long. They had like the concert in the middle, which makes it even longer, the whole race in general. And those, the laps at the Coliseum are so short, but they could only get like four laps before they would crash. And it wasn't even anyone at the, like the front. It was idiots in the back, like just getting mad at each other and dumping them into the wall. And it, like that none of that made a difference and so it was just sort of annoying to watch and like obviously it went longer than tv even thought it was going to it went into whatever was coming on next it just took too long and as a exhibition race where you want to get people who don't usually watch nascar i did not think that was a great thing because even as pe two people who watch nascar every single week i was like okay like Let's hurry this up right. and get this over with. Yeah, this, I mean, it's Sunday night. I You got to get up and work in the morning, and we're East Coast people. It was past 10 o'clock at night until that race was over mm -hmm. on a Sunday night. It just is, it's like, okay, I want to see the end of this, but at the same time, here I am staying up to watch this NASCAR race that doesn't even count towards 
towards anything in the regular season. So, yeah, it was the accidents were. There has to be a way. I don't know. Maybe you do like a time limit thing for the clash. I mean, I know NASCAR fans probably aren't going to be super fond of something like that, but, but maybe you make it a timed race because then no matter how many cautions you have or how many laps you have to run, you know, it all has to happen in that however long of a time frame. And I think it would be smart to do something like that in a non points paying race to just to try something different and be a little different. Right. But now that we've seen two versions of the clash, at the Coliseum. What are your thoughts in general? Do you think this is something that NASCAR is going to keep doing? Do you want to see them keep doing it? Just what are your thoughts overall about the Bushlight Clash at the Coliseum? Well, one thing that we didn't really discuss was that this year they let more cars in to like the main or whatever they called it. But I think there were too many cars on the track for that short of a race track. There, it needs to be cut down a little bit. I think NASCAR as an organization likes the clash in LA. They can make it showy. They all of that kind of stuff, like all that extra stuff they do. So I think personally, I think NASCAR is going to keep going back to LA to do the clash. Um, I don't think your diehard NASCAR fans love it, but I think that NASCAR as an organization likes it and they're going to keep doing it there. Yeah. You know, my first thought about the clash is why, if we're going to build our own track to do this, why LA, why the Coliseum, why can't we just go to a local short track closer to where these teams are located so they don't have to haul all their equipment across the country. And the more I think about it, the more that I kind of realize this is a ticket selling thing. There's a lot of short tracks that you don't have the infrastructure to host an event like that. At the LA Coliseum, you don't have to worry about parking. You can sell 100,000 tickets if you want to, if you can. You know, you go to a place like Bowman Gray Stadium or, you know, one of these local short tracks in the Southeast you're not getting that many people in, you're not selling that many tickets and you're not in a market like LA. So I don't think NASCAR is going to move it or do anything different. I think this is going to be the way it is for a couple more years, at least Mm -hmm. uh, until we somehow find a way to do it better somewhere else, whether that's North Wilkesboro or something, you know, that's I'm, I'm kind of hoping the all-star race experiment goes well at North Wilkesboro and maybe we get the clash moved there or something just because it's, it's NASCAR is trying to save these teams money, mm-hmm. but they're shipping them across the country for a race that they might not even make and trying to sell sponsorship for a car that might not even get on TV. Right. So, so it's, there are, it's, there are flaws that need to be ironed out, but in all, I don't think NASCAR is going to go in as drastic of a direction as to not have the clash at the Coliseum. Right. And one thing about like saving money, I just think it's so dumb that NASCAR spends millions of dollars to build a racetrack for two-ish days. They build a racetrack, they spend how much money? Millions of dollars to put this racetrack in the middle of the Coliseum. And then 
literally you see the pictures 12 hours after the race it's almost torn up already just seems like a waste of money when there are other tracks potentially out there that you could use that you wouldn't have to spend millions of dollars every year to rebuild inside the Coliseum. Yeah, I absolutely. I a hundred percent agree with that. That's, you know, that's the thing why I think it should be moved, you know, because we have racetracks. We just don't necessarily have the infrastructure to sell the amount of tickets that NASCAR wants to try to sell to, to do that. So it's a little bit unfortunate, but we'll see where it goes from here. With that, we're just going to go ahead. That's enough talk about the clash. I'm looking forward to the Daytona 500. Like I said, it's we're recording this on Wednesday night. We just watched Bush Pole qualifying. Alex Bowman will be on the pole for the Daytona 500 with Kyle Larson next to him. Uh, Hendrick Motorsports sweeping the front row for the first time, or not the first time, for the umpteenth time in a row. Yeah. Um, you know, they're always on the front row together. So little quick preview of the Daytona 500 track facts for this race. Uh, the Daytona 500 is a 500-mile race, which will be 200 laps around 2.5-mile Daytona International Speedway in Daytona Beach, Florida. Daytona has been on the schedule twice per season every year since 1972. So this has been a track that's been a main feature in NASCAR for a long time. Even before 1972, they used to run Daytona four times a year. So it's a very popular track. You look at recent history at Daytona, the most recent winners since the 2020 season, Austin Dillon, Austin Sindrick, who won last year's Daytona 500, Ryan Blaney, Michael McDowell, William Byron, and Denny Hamlin. Active drivers with the most wins here. Denny Hamlin has three. Kevin Harvick and Austin Dillon each have two. So the main thing I want to focus on here, we just named Denny Hamlin and Austin Dillon on both of those lists as drivers who've won recently and active drivers with the most wins at Daytona. So what are your thoughts on their chances this weekend, both Denny Hamlin in his Joe Gibbs Toyota and Austin Dillon in his Richard Childress Racing Chevrolet? Well, as we just saw in qualifying, the... Um, Toyotas did not qualify very well, but usually, as we've seen before, qualifying doesn't really mean much when it comes to the actual race. So I think Denny has definitely the ability to be up there. He's one of those guys that like every year tries to avoid, you know, the big one. He hangs out in the back until the end of the race and he always seems to be up there. So I think he at least has a pretty good shot of being there at the end to to race for the win. Yeah, Denny Hamlin, three wins at Daytona. All three are Daytona 500 victories. Mm-hmm. So he's been able to get his season off on the right foot on multiple occasions in his number 11 Toyota. I believe, too, that Denny Hamlin has a solid chance this weekend. He is probably the best super speedway racer in the field as of right now. Mm -hmm. There are guys like Brad Keselowski, Joey Logano, who have won a bunch of super speedway races in the past, but maybe necessarily haven't done it lately. Then you've got guys like Ryan Blaney, who haven't been around quite as long as these other three, but has also racked up multiple super speedway wins in his 
not necessarily short career. Heck, he's probably yeah. going into like his eighth year in, in NASCAR, yeah. but but shorter than Denny Hamlin and and Brad Keselowski and Joey Logano. But Denny Hamlin, I think he definitely will be a threat to win this race as long as he stays out of trouble. He's not a guy that is super aggressive early in yeah. super speedway races, and that tends to pay off for him towards the end. So Denny Hamlin, I like his chances. Austin Dillon, we talked about him a little bit. He had a very poor showing in qualifying. He was very slow, mm -hmm. uh, surprisingly slow, considering his teammate Kyle Busch made the final 10, or the 10 uh, guys that made a second run. Yeah. Um, so he doesn't seem as big of a threat to me, but you saw what happened in his most recent Daytona win. He wasn't really a threat in that race either, but it started to rain and the whole field just crashed and yeah. he's the only guy that made that it through. Left. So, so you don't have to necessarily be a huge threat to end up getting a win at a place like Daytona. So I don't know. I, I don't see him as big of a threat. I could see Denny having a really good race. Any other notes from qualifying that you want to talk about? considering it just got wrapped up and, and we're, you know, we have a little bit of an idea of maybe who has speed or, or who's set up more for racing. Yeah. So you had talked about Hendrick being pretty much one, two, three, they're going to start. They're at least on the front row. Um, so that's Bowman, Byron and Larson. And then we had talked about it earlier. Chase was not even in the top 10. Chase didn't even make a second run. I think he ended up 15th in qualifying so I thought that was sort of interesting that at least uh, Bowman was so fast and then Chase couldn't even make it into the top 10 which I thought was pretty interesting yeah and I wonder what the case for that is it it could be one of two things and we don't really know this early in the season it could be does is this team struggling for speed like are they behind everybody else yeah. because you look at you know, like you said, they're one, two, three, and 14th. Yeah. So it, are they struggling for speed, or did they set their car up more to be better during the race? Because the thing that I wanted to mention, no Toyotas made the second round of qualifying. Mm -hmm. So the Toyotas seem to be set up to want to race better than just have pure speed. So... That was a little bit interesting as well. You'd expect to see got the Toyota bunch up there, but it looks like they are setting up to race better, and we're going to see that in the duels on Thursday right. if they actually are going to race better or if they are going to struggle. But back to Chase Elliott, again, if you think back to the clash, I know I said we were going to put that in the rearview mirror, but he did advance to the main event but he had to race in the last chance qualifier to do so. And when he got to the main event, he was never a threat in that yeah. race. He was never in the front of the field. So that's what makes me wonder already. I mean, we're not even a race into yeah. the season, but I'm already wondering, is that team struggling for speed right now? And are, is that going to carry over into the Daytona 500? I'm sure we'll find out maybe a little bit in the clash tomorrow, but. Uh, yeah, that's that was pretty big news, I thought. Um, one more thing I guess we can touch on. Jimmy Johnson yep. returning. Uh, he is in on speed, as is Travis Pastrana. Yep. 
Pastrana racing in the third car for 23-11. Jimmy Johnson, obviously now the co-owner of Legacy Motor Club with Richard Petty and uh, the guys from GMS Racing. So that's some big news. You know, we're guaranteed to see Jimmy Johnson. We're guaranteed to see Travis Pastrana in this race. So that's uh, big news to come out of qualifying as well. That's going to leave two spots open for either Austin Hill, Chandler Smith, Zane Smith, and Connor Daly. Yep. Uh, so two of those guys will get in still, but they'll have to race their way in in the duels. So that's another big storyline to keep an eye on. Yeah, and I think that's good for NASCAR in general to have those two names. Travis Pastrana obviously has a huge following outside of NASCAR, and Jimmy Johnson has a huge following in NASCAR, and it's great to see him back. But I think it's great for the sport in general to have those two names to bring um, maybe people who wouldn't be watching in and now to make sure like they're guaranteed to be in everyone knows they're in maybe people will tune in just specifically to see those two um and not to hate on Chandler Smith or Zane Smith but I don't think people are tuning into the Daytona 500 to see Zane Smith race yeah right right yeah and like you said Travis Pastrana um specifically brings a following from outside NASCAR mm -hmm. that's going to want to tune in and see, oh, I wonder what Travis Pastrana is going to do yeah. in this race. Because I did the same thing when Jimmy Johnson left to go race Indy cars. There were some Sundays where I was like, oh, I wonder how Jimmy's doing. Yeah, we're so I would, I'd turn the Indy car race on and I am not an Indy car right. person. So, so I feel like the same thing can be said here. People that are big Travis Pastrana followers are going to, tune in just to see, Oh, I yeah. wonder how my guy is doing in this race. Right. So yeah, definitely big news there. So we'll go ahead and we'll move into our betting segment. Uh, we'll just talk a little bit about the guys in each, you know, favorites, mid range or long shots. Talk about who we like, who we dislike in these ranges. And I'll go ahead and run down through the favorites. So on a typical, race weekend your favorites are going to be the guys 10 to 1 or less and i'm then going to put mid-range at like 11 to 20 and then long shots are pretty much 20 and above or maybe 30 and above depending on how it goes with daytona being the wild card that it is nobody is currently less than 10 to 1 the outright favorite for this race right now is denny hamlin He's 11 to 1. So I'll go down through here. Our favorites are going to go to 20 to 1 just because that's where we get a decent amount chunk of uh, of guys. So Denny Hamlin is 11 to 1. Ryan Blaney and Kyle Larson are both 12 to 1. Chase Elliott, 13 to 1. Kyle Busch, Joey Logano, 14 to 1. William Byron, Ross Chastain, 16 to 1. Bubba Wallace and Brad Keselowski, 18 to 1. And then Austin Sindrick and Alex Bowman are currently 20 to 1. Going into qualifying, Alex Bowman was 30 to 1. So he jumped up into the favorites just after qualifying on the pole and showing the amount of speed that he had. So in this little segment of guys here, who do you like for the Daytona 500? Or is there anybody here that you're kind of fading or thinking is not going to do very well come Sunday? Yeah. Obviously, we talked about Denny, Brian Blaney, Joey, all up there. 
Some interesting ones I would say would be um, Brad at 18 to 1. Obviously, he didn't even he didn't make the top 10 tonight. He did win last year, a duel last year. Um, he has won big races before, but that um, the t- team name. RFK. RFK, yeah. RFK has has struggled to find speed anywhere. So I just am not really, even at 18 to 1, I'm not really in in on him there. But pretty much everyone else obviously seems like a good pick. Maybe Kyle Larson is a little high just because he's not a huge super speedway guy. So to be up at 12 to 1 maybe seems a little high, but and Ross Chastain is up there, but he's always he's always like sort of in the mix. So yeah. but everyone else seems pretty pretty normal to me. Yeah, you definitely hit on the one guy that I wanted to talk about. That was Kyle Larson. At 12 to 1, I'm not touching him at all. At that um, at that number, I mean, he doesn't like super speedway racing. He doesn't have a past of being a good super speedway racer. So he's just kind of a guy that I look at and think I'd rather not go that way. Especially, you know, Kyle Larson at 12, and then you look at somebody like Bubba Wallace at 18. Right. And Bubba Wallace is always running up front at super speedways. Mm-hmm. He was second in last year's Daytona 500. He was second in his first ever Daytona 500. He's won at Talladega. He is one at Talladega. So I would much rather bet Bubba Wallace at 18 mm-hmm. to 1 than Kyle Larson at 12 to 1. Yeah. So Bubba's probably the main guy that I'm looking at in this area that kind of presents the best value for what you could p- potentially get in return. I think Bubba's Bubba's my top guy in this area just because of of being at 18 and I wouldn't be surprised to see him have a solid run in the duels and that number kind of creep up a little more, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of creep up towards the favorites a little more uh, going forward. So I would definitely fade Kyle Larson in this group. And I'm, I'm definitely liking Bubba Wallace at 18. I personally don't have any bets in yet on the 500, but but Bubba Wallace at 18 is definitely something that I'm going to look at a little bit harder. So we'll move on to the mid-range, unless there's anybody else you want to talk about. Nope. Okay, so the mid-range guys, these are guys between 20 and 30. That's going to be Tyler Reddick at 22 to 1, Kevin Harvick and Martin Truex Jr. at 25 to 1, Christopher Bell and Austin Dillon at 28 to 1, Chase Briscoe and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. at 30 to 1. That is the mid-range area that we're going to talk about here. Thoughts on this group of guys? Um, what was Chase Briscoe again? Chase Briscoe, 30 to 1. Okay. <clears throat> That's what I have him at too, so I was just checking. Um, some interesting ones I would say would be Ryan Priest. Obviously, this is his first uh, season back in the cup level. So we don't really know how he's going to do. So to have him be above someone like Justin Haley, who has won at Daytona before is interesting to see, but obviously we did see in qualifying tonight that Fords have speed. So I'm sure he'll be up there. And then, um, some other interesting ones like uh, Martin Truex Jr. I guess he is more of a short track guy, so mm-hmm. that was why he is there. But 
I would say, obviously, the way Alex Bowman performed in qualifying tonight, that he would probably be the the best bet out of this mid-range. Yeah, so I look at some of these guys. Um, Chase Briscoe, very fast tonight in, in qualifying, sitting at 30-1. to 1. That's pretty nice. We talked about Austin Dillon and his past performance at Daytona. He's at 28. Uh, you know, maybe... I'm not putting the house on him at, at 28, but you know, there's, there's a potentially a little bit of value there. And you mentioned Truex being more of a short track kind of guy, intermediate kind of guy at 25. I'm not touching him there. I just don't see much value in, in Martin Truex jr. He's not a super speedway guy. He hates super, super speedway racing. So I would fade him. Kevin Harvick is interesting to me. I would rather get him at a higher number. I just think 25 is maybe a little bit short. You know, I don't hate what he brings to the table at a super speedway. He's a veteran. He's been around. He's won a Daytona 500. So, like I said, I, I can't can't say I dislike betting him, but at 25 just seems like a, a little bit short to me. Uh, as far as as betting goes for Kevin Harvick. So we hit the long shots here, and now that my computer's frozen. Uh, so we got Christopher Busher at 33-1, to 1, uh, and he is there with Eric Jones, Michael McDowell, Daniel Suarez, all 33-1. to 1. Eric Almirola, Jimmy Johnson, 35-1. to 1. Jimmy Johnson has his odds have improved since he's officially made uh, the Daytona 500. He was he was 40 to one. Now he's 35 to one. Ty Gibbs at 40 to one with Justin Haley also at 40 to one. AJ Allmendinger and Noah Gregson at 50 to one. Corey LaJoy, Harrison Burton, Austin Hill, Travis Pastrana. All four of them are at 80 to 1. Chandler Smith and Zane Smith, 100 to 1. Todd Gilliland, 125 to 1. Ty Dillon, 150 to 1. Riley Herbst is 200 to 1. And Cody Ware, BJ McLeod, and Connor Daly are all 500 to 1. So a big list of guys there, Devin. Who in the long shots is catching your eye? I, as we talked about earlier, obviously Michael McDowell. Jimmy Johnson, Justin Haley, all uh, Daytona winners. Mm -hmm. So those are interesting. Obviously, Jimmy's numbers have improved now that he is officially in. But obviously, he would, to me, be a good pick. Justin Haley has a long shot. Um, Other people I'm looking at, even Connor Daly, 500 to 1. Like, you never know. He obviously has to race his way in yet, but... There's there are some guys on this list that are surprising to see here, I would say, because they do have a history of winning at Daytona. Yeah, definitely. This this group of guys is very deep. There's plenty of guys here with a lot of Daytona experience and have run well here in the past. You look at guys like Michael McDowell two years ago. I was actually able to bet on him and hit in a, you know a decent amount he opened that year 
2020 Daytona yeah. 500. Uh, he opened as a hundred to one long shot and I didn't bet him right away, but as Daytona 500 got closer and his odds kind of shrunk a little bit, but I did get a ticket on him at 66 to one and was able to hit there. So that was pretty big for me. And now he's sitting here at 33 to one. Now I just kind of wonder if maybe the books are a little bit scared of Michael McDowell. Um, maybe they, they got wiped out there in that Daytona 500 two years ago, but plenty of other talented guys in this area as well. Jimmy Johnson, obviously a former Daytona 500 winner, uh, 35 to one is still decent, uh, decent odds. Travis Pastrana guaranteed to be in the show sitting at 80 to one. I mean, that's, that's decent value there. Um, I look at other guys such as Austin Hill, uh, a lot of success in the Xfinity series last year on super speedways. So if he races his way in, which he does still have to do, he would be a threat. Harrison Burton. He was in the top 10 tonight in qualifying. He moved on to the second round of qualifying. So he's got speed in that car. I was going to say, um, I think it was was the last Daytona 500 or at least Daytona. Corey LaJoy led for a while close to the end. He ended up wrecking himself. That was but... a, that was Atlanta last year. Oh, was it? Yeah, I that, thought, was, I was thinking it was that was one of the Atlanta races last year. He, Which, I mean, same format, yeah. right? It's, it's still a super speedway type track. Yeah. And he was leading late. He got moved out of the way by Chase Elliott. Yeah. And I think Chase ended up winning that race. Yeah. Maybe. Part of the joy wrecked all is that. Yeah, yeah. He was leading late and he he did get he put in the fence. But he's up sitting at 80 to 1. So yeah. yeah, there's there's an option as well. So a lot of a lot of guys back here in the 80, you know, 30 plus, especially up into the 80s, maybe you can take a shot on them and you never know. Crazier things have happened. We've seen plenty of upsets in the Daytona 500 mm-hmm. lately. I don't know what Austin Cindrick's betting odds were going into Daytona last year, but they couldn't have been that low. No. Uh, You know, a rookie coming in and making his first Daytona 500 start. So, uh, yeah, I I mean, there's plenty of value that can be had back here. You just got to find it. Yep. So with that, we'll move into our one and done segment. Once again, I'll explain it, uh, how this is going to work. Obviously, it's pretty self-explanatory, actually, one and done. You get to pick anybody in the field. You get to pick them one time over the course of the season, unless they happen to win. Then you can pick them again. So you're looking to pick a winner. You're also looking to, you know, just get good solid finishes out of everybody because the point system goes wherever your guy finishes is how many points you get. So whoever you pick, if they finish in 10th, you get 10 points. Whoever has the least amount of points at the end of the season will win the one and done uh, standing. So with that, ladies first here to get the season started, Devin, who are you taking for your one and done for the Daytona 500? Well, I think you know who I'm going to take, and it is the person making his first ever Daytona 500 start, first ever NASCAR start, and that is Travis Pastrana. Yeah, that's a good pick because that's the way that I was leaning as well. Uh, You know, taking his first start and uh, obviously probably his only start of the season. So you either use him now or or you don't use him at all. 
Um, I'm going to use a guy that's also running a limited schedule this year. He is guaranteed to be in the Daytona 500. He's a past winner of the Daytona 500. And if you haven't guessed by now, he's also a seven-time NASCAR Cup Series champion. It's Jimmy Johnson racing for the number 84 car for Legacy Motor Club. He's a part owner of, um, like I said, he's guaranteed to be in. He's running a limited schedule. He's got NASCAR experience. A uh, big super speedway guy. So, yeah, I'm going to lean towards Jimmy Johnson and hope that he can get the job done this week. Sounds good. So with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off for this week. Uh, tune in to our show next week. We are going to recap what we watched this Sunday in the Daytona 500. We're also going to preview Auto Club Speedway. The Palacasino 400 coming up Uh not this coming Sunday, but the next Sunday, uh, perhaps the final time the Cup Series races on the two-mile format at Auto Club Speedway. So we'll talk a little bit about that next week. Okay. So for that, that's going to do it for us this week. Once again, my name is Cody. You can follow me on Twitter at Master Smithers. Follow We Know Fantasy on Twitter at We Know Fantasy. Devin, where can the people find you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at dbrocious13. And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap it up for the week. Hopefully you guys listen, and we'll see you next week.